The Spitalfields Festival podcast with me, Sarah Moore-Peach. I'm back on Princelet Street again, coming to number 13 for the second of our podcast recordings, this time with Anna Thorvaldsdottir, who's the featured composer in the festival. Um, the roadworks have shut up, but I bet you anything they start up in the middle. Um, and they've given us a key this time, so we don't have to ring the bell. So the first of our podcast with Liam Byrne took place in the kitchen. Thankfully, the um, roadworks outside have quietened down, so we've been able to migrate into the sort of little dining room just off the kitchen, so in this beautiful Huguenot house. Um, so, Anna, you are the feature composer at this year's festival. Yeah. Um, so it's wonderful. We've heard a couple of your pieces already in House of Monteverdi, um, and tonight we're going to hear... An amazing piece in the light of air, which you wrote for for Ice Ensemble and um, the London Contemporary Orchestra are going to be performing it. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that that piece. Yeah, um, it was a piece that was commissioned by Ice, and uh, I did, uh, and it was an open commission, so it could be whatever instrumentation or and or technology, which is very exciting, especially when you don't have kind of all the techno technological know-how yourself um, and but the only kind of wish for them was that it would be a long piece kind of that could stand um, as a half of a concert or even a whole of a concert. So how long is it? It's 43 minutes yeah um, and I just spent a lot of time thinking about what it would be that I would want to do and propose to them because it's an interesting collaborative aspect to, to work like this with an ensemble. So I wrote the piece for five instruments and electronics and a lighting installation. What that means is that the lighting installation is, is uh, interactive with the music and with the performer's breath. That, that's, for example, where, where ICE, ICE's technology came in to play because I, I didn't know how to make you know, lights respond to audio but I wanted, I really wanted it to happen because I wanted the be- like the beautiful subtle pulsations of the light to correspond with parts of the music, not not the entire piece, but parts of the music. Yeah, so I wrote this piece for them. It's about forty-three minutes in duration. Um, I also assembled a percussive instrument that's made out of large ornaments. Uh, I got got an ornament from an Icelandic artist in Iceland. It's a very small ornament and uh, I kind of, being a complete composer, of course, started to <laughs> banging on it and listening to how it sounds. Never let a composer no, loose in an right? art gallery, right? Oh, I know, right? It, it, oh, absolutely insane. Uh, but I, it just sounded so nice that I, I asked if she could make me like a really big one, like even bigger than a, a, a large tam-tam would be. What's and it made of? It's It's metal. It's just um, very thin metal plates, actually. So that was that became also an installation in the piece. Um, unfortunately, we were not able to have the installation here, but we're using different types of metal plates that, that sound amazing, but it was an original 
part of the piece. Why did you want to make a piece that would have light responding to to sound and the and the player's breath? Yeah, I've always been fascinated, borderline obsessed with kind of creating atmosphere in a concert because it's so nice that you have all these people gathered, you have all these performers, and they've been spending a lot of time on rehearsing. And I I'm just really fascinated by the you know by how you how you light a concert by concert lights and and just general atmosphere. So I wanted to kind of incorporate it into the music and really make it a part of the piece if possible. Of course, sometimes it's not possible to include the lights and that's absolutely fine. The music completely stands on its own. I just really wanted to explore this part of creating an atmosphere. I find it so refreshing hearing you talking like that because the the, the clearest thread there is your connection to the people listening. Yeah. to your music, yeah. that you're not just making music in an abstract way right. and for your for yourself and for your own relationship to that sound. You care clearly very deeply about how people receive it. Absolutely. And it's um, because one thing is, is of course certain and that's that every single individual will experience the music in his or her own way. Um, but what we as artists can do, can create the the surrounding and the best kind of the thing that we want to contribute to that audience's experience. And I always, it's what, what I find so beautiful is when people come afterwards and just say, oh yeah, and I was thinking about, you know, flying in the sky or I was thinking about being on a mountain. You know, people have their own experiences um, and it's so precious and that's how it should be so you're not trying to control their experience in no. any way you're just helping to open it up absolutely and uh and and perhaps sometimes just giving um kind of a link a connection into the the bigger picture this of course cannot apply to every concert because we have orchestra concerts for example and things are in a certain way but if you have a small ensemble and you have a um, people who can put all these things together. It's an amazing thing to do. Um, tonight's concert, your In the Light of Air is twinned with a number of text-based pieces by Pauline Oliveros. And these are a kind of body of her work that are not particularly well known. They're not like most of the deep listening work. But still, I'm really interested to know about perhaps your connection to or response to her music in general. Because so I thought it was an in, a really interesting pairing for the LCO to put you together yeah. with Pauline Oliveros. I, I don't know if I'm right about this, but it strikes me that there's something in in the two of your musics that connect, or the approach to yeah. listening, perhaps. I'm, I'm sure there is. Um, in the approach to the music and in the approach to construct a general kind of ideas and and methods and ways to work with music it it's I, I think it is kind of very different in than actually how it sounds yeah but the approach to music is I think there's a connection there and uh, she was of course a legend it, it's an amazing honor to be uh, on the same program as her and so it would be very interesting to see because you feel to me like, I mean, I know deep listening as a practice is a completely different thing, yeah. but you feel to me like quite a deep listener. And that comes that certainly comes across in, in your music, this really deep, attentive mm -hmm. listening to sound and like what's inside the sound. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's a very big part of what I'm 
what I actually spend a lot of time on is to find and think about and generate the right textures, the mm-hmm. right layered material, and that comes from all different kinds of of nuances that are created, not uh, simply by putting a violin bow on a violin string. Oh, look, there's our roadworks. They started up. <laughs> Do you think we're going to have to move into another room? So um, before we moved, uh, I was grilling you about listening. Yes. About deep listening. Yes. I'm really interested to know how you how you actually do that because you described like this object mm-hmm. by this Icelandic artist, yeah. and the first thing you did was to start playing it to see what kind yeah. of sound it would make. Do you do a lot of that when you're when you're working? Do you have a lot of objects around which you tap and play and beat and try and get yeah. sounds out of? It depends a little bit. Um, I don't keep them around, actually, but, of course, if I'm writing a piece and I, I'm looking for a certain sound or a texture, and then I might visit a friend in a percussion studio or something and start to scrape their instruments a little bit. But I don't keep them at home. But, yes, if I encounter a new object, I might test it, <laughs> how it sounds and how it sounds. <laughs> Is there anything in this kitchen you want to test out? It's pretty bare, actually. It's not. There's a bowl over there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but then uh, another way for me, actually, it's it's much more about internal listening and then looking for that sound and and searching. I mean, searching for that sound I'm looking for. What do you mean internal listening? When I'm writing music, I always spend a lot of time dreaming on the music that I want to become you know so I spent a lot of time in the initial process kind of meditating almost on the music on the on the textures on the on the lyrical material on the harmonies and um, when I have that clear vision of what I want the music to be and uh, then I sketch it out in graphic sketches which is mnemonic device for myself to remember the music because I can't really remember all that music all the time so I have this uh, way to store that. This is the part that I might start searching for the right sounds for different textures. Of course there are instruments they can play these pitches and these pitches and, and, and I know that you know a violin can do this type of sound and this type of sound but so the search is more um, kind of comes from within, really. So, for example, when I was given this ornament, I think it was like a natural instinct for me because I was exactly in a moment, a part of the process of this piece, where I was searching for a particular percussion instrument. And I had no idea and didn't even think for a second I would find it in an ornament from an Icelandic artist. Not at all. (laughs) I think it was more like a natural kind of, you're looking for something and you start, start searching or like your subconsciousness starts searching and you don't even understand really why and so I think that's why it it became a a part of this piece because it was like oh right this is the sound you have to be so patient for that yeah I mean you you meditate and you dream this sound world and then you have to be patient for the right sound yeah. to, to kind of present itself. Yeah, that's true. I mean, patience also 
comes into play because it takes a long time to note it, a large piece of music. And in, in when you're making a piece of art and when you're making music, there's nothing that comes instead of having enough time. You need time to know how things are going to be and how they're going to be presented, quote unquote, right. Because you kind of, you feel, you know how it's supposed to sound, but you need to get yourself with all the techniques that you know and everything, you know, to make that right. Did it take you a long time to realise that? Or have you always kind of known that? Uh, that you, I need a lot of time? Yeah. Well, I think I've always known. And of course, I can very well, like everyone else, become very impatient and really want it to be done and now. But that's <laughs> just not the way it can happen. And that's why also I really find it good for myself to finish a piece, let it be with me just on the table or in the drawer for a certain amount of time. It can be a month, it can be two weeks. And then I come back to it, and this is when I know if the piece is ready, really ready, because I need to step back and um, think about other things and then come back to it. And because this piece is going to live on, I'm, I hopefully, you know, if you're lucky, I mean, in any case, I give it away. And, and when I give it away, it's ready. And I need to know that it's ready by having time. that really strikes me about your music and again I might be totally on the wrong track here but um is something about weight like there's a real sense of weightlessness to a lot of the sound but that it only works because there is also some kind of anchor mm. like I was really struck by the more of your music I listen to like often drones come in so you use mm. a kind of a deep bass drone mm. and from that it's like the, you know, the helium balloon can kind of lift off. Yeah. Um, is that something that you think about a lot, the way that, the way that it kind of ha has weight or not and, mm. and where it is in space? I absolutely think about balance a lot and uh, structure is one of the things I'm really, really most concerned with in writing music because it just is so important in the piece. I always spend a lot of time constructing harmony for the piece and harmony is often what I think you're describing with the with the uh, kind of sustained materials and that's always important for me to have that and, and sometimes these these drones that you're talking about they are composed of layers of materials they are composed of uh, harmonies lower harmonies and um, other sounds and textures and airy material and that's kind of like a ground like you say like a anchor and uh, and then yeah you can have the the shimmers and decorations in um, in combination with that and I, th I mean that's just of course always a bit different for different pieces uh, but it's something I think about a lot. Do you ever take kind of ideas and inspiration from from elsewhere from literature or art or anything like that? I mean the process that you described of like of the kind of listening inside it sounds as though everything is in there anyway but do you do you have those kind of outside of music yeah it's in there 
it's in there anyway because of everything that's external, you know? <laughs> yeah. The thing is that uh, I'm very aware and consciously inspired by everything. And, and I know that sounds weird, but I have talked about before that I can be inspired by natural proportions and flow in nature and things like that. But also, yeah, you read the book and there's something that just clicks it within you. You might not even know it, but then there's something that you get an idea, oh, and, and there was something that I was looking for for this piece, and it might be completely irrelevant to that text. But the thing is that inspiration and connections often work, at least for myself, in kind of that kind of way that's not conscious, but I know that it's there. It's really lovely chatting with you because you seem super happy talking about music and talking about your artistic practice. And I've met a lot of composers who are really reticent about it, who find it really difficult to articulate their practice, difficult to articulate anything about their music and sort of feel that, you know, the music speaks for itself. Why, why do I need to talk yeah. about it? Yeah, and, and, and of course it does, but it's also, you know... We are humans, we are working today, and it's nice. I, I, I like talking about it with people who like to know. <laughs> the Spitalfields Festival podcast with me, Sarah Moore-Peach. You can listen in on other conversations with Spitalfields artists in our special podcast series. Just go to spitalfieldsmusic.org.uk.